Well, this just in, Time Magazine has named Greta Thunberg their Person of the Year, the Power of Youth, they say. It comes uh, a day after Greta Thunberg said she's not very successful and is dropping out of school to continue her climate change stuff. That, that's right. Her parents are letting her drop out of school. Uh, it, 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 you know... This is one of those weird youth moment things. Uh, goodness gracious. She is convinced the world is coming to an end and convinced that she is uh, not uh, making things happen the way she wants to make things happen. She's convinced that they're failing, uh, that people aren't meeting standards. And now word comes that Greenland is melting faster than ever before. And uh, the whole thing is a little bit odd. Um, it's kind of a shame. That in and of itself comes just a few days after she said that uh, there was real, there were gaining momentum. But she said that on, I guess, uh, the fifth or sixth. And now she's saying that she's going to have to drop out of school because they're not. Yeah. Um, uh, this audio is so screwed up, I can't I, I can't actually get it played. Um, but uh, nonetheless, Greta Thunberg, she's going to be Times Person of the Year. Greta Thunberg is the 16-year-old who uh, is adamant that the world is coming to an end in 10 years, forced her mother to give up her international career because her mother would have to fly on a plane. Thunberg uh, gets to sail around the world in yachts of princes and wants you to not travel unless you have yachts of princes. To do it, uh, can we just acknowledge that Times Person of the Year is, is silly? Uh, silly as much as the Merriam-Webster Word of the Year. Do you know what the Word of the Year is? The dictionary has gone woke. Noah Webster is rolling over in his grave. The the Word of the Year is they, singular, for transgender people who identify as neither male nor female. That's right. The dictionary has gone woke. It is Orwellian. Uh, woke dictionaries are tools of authoritarians. Uh, don't believe me? Read 1984. In any event, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, and uh, we got more to cover. I want to begin. I didn't intend to begin with all that. That just happened. The president is on the campaign trail. The Democrats impeaching and, well, it's not going the way they expected. And um, Mitch McConnell is coming out and saying that he actually is pretty sure it's going to go nowhere in the Senate. I would be totally surprised if there were 67 senators to remove the president. Uh, that remains my view. Uh, however, we are obligated under the Constitution to turn to it when it comes over, and we will. Yeah, you know, this is the thing. There, there's apparently a great divide between the White House and the Senate on this issue and Mitch McConnell. I, I suspect they're going to need to let McConnell uh, lead on this. McConnell's interpretation of the Senate rules is pretty consistent with the way they've done this in the past, and you need to understand this. Uh, the Senate cannot just all of a sudden change the rules. To change the rules midway through a Senate session requires a two-thirds vote, which they're not going to get. 
And the rules of the Senate, as they presently stand, say there has to be a trial. Uh, McConnell cannot move out of the gate to just dismiss this. Uh, that's what the, the White House wants. They can't do that. Uh, what they have to do is they actually have to have a Senate trial. And they can dismiss it once they've had the Senate trial, but they got to have the trial. So what McConnell wants to do purportedly is drag this out in such a way that uh, the Democrat make it painful on the Democrats. You drag it out for six weeks, the Democrats who are running for, and let's see, you still got Klobuchar, you got Warren, you got Booker, you got Michael Bennett is still in there, the senator from Colorado. He's still running. Uh, so you got four of them still. Maybe you got five. Kamala Harris has dropped out. Oh, yeah, and you got Bernie Sanders. So you got five left. You got five left who are running for president in the Senate. Drag it out and make it pain for them. For them, we'll get into the polling. By the way, on the on the Democrats here, there's some uh, mind-numbing polling here in a little bit. Fifty-one uh, percent uh, for Joe Biden among Black voters. We'll we'll delve into that. But while the Democrats were spinning their wheels in Washington yesterday on impeachment, the president decided to have a rally in Pennsylvania. I want to play you some of the president's supporters who were out there at the rally interviewed by the media the the media is starting to get nervous you've got kathleen parker who has a column in the washington post on cnn has a column out today saying you idiots you're going to get this man reelected by doing this uh, here's why listen to these supporters feels like more of a uh, tail feels like more of a uh, tailgating party out here we've got the jumbotron lots of enthusiasm gonna bring in diane atkins all the way from bay ridge brooklyn yeah diane baby. what are you doing out here brooklyn. why make the trip to pa for this rally oh because we love president trump we're representing almost all of the five boroughs of new york city here we got brooklyn queens staten island we're in the house baby even new jersey and we're out here because we love donald trump we love our president and we can't wait to vote for him in 2020 trump 2020 Rain, rain will not stop us. Why do you guys like the president so much? A lot of people uh, criticize him over some of his rhetoric, rhetoric uh, his rhetoric, things he says. Why do you guys like him? Now keep, keep tweeting. Donald Trump loves America first and foremost. He's always loved America and put America first. And that's the most important thing. And you know what? He tells it like it is. Whether you love him or hate him, you cannot deny that that man tells the truth like it is. And that's why you've got thousands of people that will stand in the rain to go and see him for an hour and a half. Yep. These people love him. They adore him. You know, I, I was talking to a uh, person up in North Georgia on Friday. Uh, he was at the uh, he was at the dinner I was at at, at Senator Bruce Thompson's house. He was a, a political activist up in North Georgia. And he leaned over to me. He says, man, I'm, I'm worried about Brian Kemp. So why are you worried about Brian Kemp? He says, this Leffler situation. I said, well, why? Get her up there. She's good. And he'll say, no, these, these people go slightly north of, of me in North Bartow County and, and north of here. He says, these people, they love the president. And I said, well, I, I know. He says, no, you don't understand. He says, the president wanted Doug Collins. That's what they think. And, and they're going to hold it against Brian Kemp that he didn't give the president Doug Collins. I, I don't know. But there's a consensus. These people, they love the president. They are. It is the president's party. In the same way the Democrats became Barack Obama's party, there were people who did not consider themselves Democrats but loved Barack Obama. There are people who don't consider themselves Republicans, but they love uh, Donald Trump. And Donald Trump ate it up last night on stage in Pennsylvania. And the reason they announced it on the same day, one hour later, they announced impeachment 
a few guys standing behind her. They announced impeachment. And then an hour later, she announced that she's going to do USMCA. You know why? It's a huge deal. And it plays down the impeachment because they're embarrassed by the impeachment. And our poll numbers have gone through the roof because of her stupid impeachment. Her stupid impeachment. You know, his polling is actually up. His his, uh, job approval rating is up. Uh, Probably has more to do with the economic news, but still. To say this, look, and I always have to say this. You have some really great journalists and you have some honest publications, but not too many of them, I have to be honest with you. The legislator, well, you know that. Does anybody think the media is honest? Does anybody think they're totally corrupt and dishonest? All right. You know, there's actually polling out today on this uh, that, that in particular, uh, white people and men are now less likely to believe the media. Uh, this is from Neiman Labs. It came out uh, late yesterday. Different groups of Americans perceive news very differently. It depends on your race, gender, age, education, level, and political affiliation, according to a new RAND survey of 2,543 Americans aged 21 and older. The research is part of RAND's ongoing truth decay research. There's plenty here that won't be surprising to people who followed research from Pew and others. People who rely primarily on print and broadcast TV for news tend to be significantly older. Those who rely primarily for on online platforms for news tend to be younger. But Rand fleshes these categories out uh, additional demographic, uh, demographic characteristics. People whose primary news sources are social media and in-person contacts are generally younger and female, and they tend to have less education than college degree or lower household incomes. People whose primary news sources are print publications and broadcast television tend to be older, and they are less likely to be married. People whose primary news source is radio are significantly more likely to be male, less likely to be retired, and more likely to have college degrees. People whose primary news sources are online platforms are significantly younger, more likely to be male and have a college degree and higher income, and less likely to be black. Now, interestingly enough, 44% of respondents said they believe the news is as reliable now as it is in the past. 41% say less reliable, but this varies on demographics without attention to partisanship. Respondents who were white, male, or retired, or who had higher incomes or less than a college education, were significantly more likely to believe the news is less reliable now. Conversely, women, racial or ethnic minorities, and those without college degrees were more significantly likely to say they believe the news is more reliable now than in the past. People who did not vote were less likely than others to report believing the news is more reliable now than in the past. Compared with Clinton voters, those who voted for anyone else were more than three times as likely to report a perception the news is less reliable. Married people and people who voted for someone other than Trump or Clinton were much more likely to rate obtaining news in person as the most reliable method. A third of people get most of their news from platforms that they also believe are not the most reliable. Now, here's the thing. Let me go back to a detail and, and, and pull something out of here that isn't being pulled out of here. Without attention to partisanship, respondents who were white, male, or retired 
or who had higher incomes or less than a college education were more likely to believe the news is less reliable now. I want to make an extrapolation here. If you have higher income, you tend to be successful in a field about which you have deep knowledge. And if you tend to be successful in a field about which you have deep knowledge, you tend to know about that field because you have that deep knowledge. And so when the media reports on it, you can tell that the media gets a lot of stuff wrong on it. For example, I, I, I can tell you being in radio, the number of stories you read, and let, let me speak on, on Rush Limbaugh for a minute, who, who, who is a friend uh, who helped me get into radio, uh, for whom I guest hosted for a number of years. Rush Limbaugh oftentimes gets in the media and the media talks about his business and, and they have been cheering on Rush's demise for a decade. And every time you read a story about Rush Limbaugh in the media, they get it all wrong. The media very clearly does not understand the radio industry. They don't understand how ratings work, and they don't understand Rush Limbaugh's or, or his audience, or advertiser for that matter. So the media reports these stories, and the media gets it all wrong, and then they blast Rush Limbaugh for casting doubt on the media. Well, he's got every reason to cast doubt on the media because the media's gotten everything wrong. But if you're less than college educated, you also believe the news is less reliable. Y you know what network people without college degrees tend to watch news networks fox that that's not to criticize fox don't don't take that the wrong way people who are blue collar workers people without a college degree tend to vote republican they tend to like the president they tend to watch fox they tend to see on fox because fox spends a great deal of time highlighting how all the other news networks got stuff wrong of course they're gonna um disagree it's just a fascinating dynamic here now i, I want to go back to one other blurb People whose primary news source is radio, that would be you. They're more significantly likely to be male. They're less likely to be retired. And they're more likely to have a college degree. If you're listening to radio, the odds are your male have a job and a college degree. Now, you individually, you're saying, well, that's not me. Well, maybe it's not you. But overall, that tends to be the case. You know what the demographics are for, for, for the resurgent, my website, that is tied into this radio show? 42-year-old male father of three who spends 30 minutes in the car commuting to a white-collar job where he makes six figures. Actually, eighty thousand is, is the is the median income. Eighty thousand and, and up, typically. He cares more about sports than he does the news, but he listens to this radio program and goes to my website because he feels like he needs to be engaged in politics for the sake of his children. That is the demographics of people who connect to me. Forty-two, father of three, commutes thirty minutes, white-collar job, eighty thousand dollar a year job. That's it. Now, that may not be you, but that tends to be the average, which is interesting. But it all goes back to this. I, I, I have for years now done this psychographic, we'll call it, they call it psychographic, not just demographic. What are their interests and things like that? Not just whether they're white or black or male or female. And it's been very consistent over time. The number of people who have connected with me online or on radio are late 30s, mid 30s to, to, to 40s. So they're older and they're younger, but that tends to be the average. 
and they don't like politics. In fact, that's one reason I try to make a point not to spend all of my time on politics is they don't like politics. They would rather talk about other stuff, but they feel like they've got to be engaged. Uh, and and they're coming just for, for street shooting news more than anything. It, it And it's... We're seeing this, and for the president to go on the attack on the media last night in his rally, as he's been doing, it works, and the media hates it. The media is, is really mad about it, but it works because people get the joke. The only people who don't are people in the media. Okay, I I, I got to tell you, um, I do this on the other radio show, but if you go to omahasteaks.com, I'm listening, I'm doing this, they're not actually paying me here to do this i just actually am a customer and love them and i got some of these bacon wrap fillets from omaha steaks with a deal they're doing it's really good um if you go to omahasteaks.com and you put my first name eric e-r-i-c-k in the search bar you can get an incredible deal on these bacon wrap fillets and they got pork chops and and um potatoes all gratin and, and other stuff they send to you. it's it's good um and if you want a great deal for somebody i think it's 69 dollars um it's a big pile of food uh just go to omahasteaks.com and put Eric in the search bar. It's awesome. And again, this isn't an ad. Uh, it really isn't. I just, I love them. Uh, and I am doing a deal with them somewhere else, but I figured I'd share it with you because it's a great deal. Now, uh, David in Kennesaw, going to go to you first today. Welcome. Hi, Eric. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to talk about the potential uh, for the Senate to get into some of the uh, issues, the Democrat corruption that... Um, the Republicans in the, in the House were not allowed to bring certain witnesses. And in the Senate, it seems like I've, I saw a story today that Lindsey Graham perhaps is not willing to go there. But I know some people were hoping that um, some of these issues on the Democrat right. side could be brought up in a, in a Senate trial. Um, is, is Lindsey Graham afraid of opening Pandora's box or what do you think? Well, so the, the question is over, uh, Biden, uh, whether or not they, they could bring up, uh, some of the stuff on Biden and Burisma, they could, to the extent they wanted to show the president had a reasonable, uh, a reasonable basis for probing. And they may do that here. Here's the thing about impeachment, David, the uh, Republicans in the Senate can work with the Democrats to lay out the rules. If they can't get agreement, they use the Clinton rules. If they use the Clinton rules on impeachment, uh, they're pretty broad as to what the, the the Senate can do. They can even, for example, even though the House couldn't get John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney to show up, they could get Mick Mulvaney and John Bolton to show up for a Senate trial and force their testimony. And the courts have to stay out of it. Uh, the rules for the Senate are basically there are no rules when it comes to impeachment other than what the Senate says. And the potential witnesses cannot run to the judiciary and say, wait a second, executive privilege, I don't have to speak. Uh, and the president can't claim executive privilege in an impeachment trial either. If the Senate wants someone to testify in impeachment, the Senate gets to have them testify whether they want to or not, uh, which is actually uh, amazing that the Senate gets to do that. And, and the chief justice of the United States signs off on it. So they could. But now here's why Lindsey doesn't want to go down that road. Lindsey uh, Graham wants to drag this out as much as possible to hurt the Democrats uh, running in Iowa and New 
Hampshire. Uh, but he also, at the same time, doesn't want to do a deep dive. He wants to do a superficial dive because he doesn't want to give the Democrats political ammunition to say, wait a second, the Republicans have turned this on Joe Biden. They're trying to protect the president. He wants to actually drag it out and show that the Democrats wasted everybody's time and taxpayer money uh, on impeaching the president for the first uh, first time and show everyone, in fact, that it was a highly political process. And so it's kind of a counterintuitive. Lindsey wants to drag it out, but he doesn't want to do a deep dive. Uh, and he really wants to spend the time highlighting that this was a partisan political operation by the Democrats who wasted taxpayer money and make hay out of it in that regard. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I will be sending out a recipe later today. It's it's a drop sugar cookie recipe. And they're, they're silver dollar sugar cookies, which I never had before. My, my mother-in-law got the recipe from a friend. And uh, I may have eaten a whole batch. Um, they were they were highly addictive. Uh, they were very good, perfect for Christmas time. Um, the, um, the, the, the if you want the recipe, text recipe to three three seven seven seven. I'll send it out later today. What happens? Just so you you know. Uh, when you text recipe to three three seven seven seven, you get a text message back asking for your email address. And when you send your email address, you get signed up uh, for the list, and uh, you'll get an email in your email inbox from me uh, with a link to all the historic recipes I've sent. So the gumbo recipe, the the breakfast recipes, the other cookies, everything will be in there. You can click through and find. Um, but that that's what happens with the process. Now. The Democrats are spitting mad over something the president did. Uh, he is sent out a, or his campaign rather, sent out a video, and it had the president's face uh, digitized onto Thanos, snapping his finger with the the um, the gauntlet on, Infinity Gauntlet on, and then it showed the Democratic press conference where they were announcing impeachment, and all the Democrats turned to ashes. Oh, the guy who came up with Thanos has come out, I mean, almost crying. He's so upset. I can't believe the president did that to my creation. I'm sorry. I realize it's so, but it's so stupid. It's, it's so, it's funny because it's so stupid. The Democrats are really upset with the president and the media is really upset with the president for this. And it's a, it's a stupid meme that was circulated. And and this, again, there's a reminder here. I bring it up because there is a real reminder here, how the president is able to control the narrative in a way that Democrats haven't been able to, and can't, uh, they just, they, they can't do it. The president can come out and tweet out a meme and they lose their minds over it. Don Lemon had a complete meltdown about it last night, uh, about the president on on the Thanos meme. Followed has led him to the brink of impeachment. That's how we got here. In addition to all the lies... And all the blustering at tonight's rally, Trump's war room posted a meme on Twitter today showing Trump as the supervillain Thanos from the Marvel Avengers movies. 
dispatching his Democratic en enemies. Take a look at this. On this solemn day, I'm, I recall that the first order of business for members of... And they all turned to ash. <laughs> Donna silent. What, what are we, in junior high school? Like, what the hell? Is, what is this? Like, what? What? I cannot believe that I'm even having to report this on the news. This is, this is crazy. This is literally crazy. Are you people insane? Are you, are you insane? <laughs> Go ahead. Troll the Democrats on Twitter. Do this stupid, silly, you know what? Play this stupid, juvenile meme game. History won't record this meme, stupid crap. But history will record this. The seriousness of what is happening. That today is the day that the House of Representatives in the United States of America introduced articles of impeachment against President Donald J. Trump, the President of the United States of America, for committing high crimes and misdemeanors. Any kind of smirks there. And lots to discuss. John Kasich, next. John Kasich, next. <laughs> Don, I love you, man, but come on, who's crazy? The guy who loses his business over a meme or the people who pushed out the meme and all had a laugh? I mean, we need a lot more humor in American society, and, and I mean, come on. It, it, it was clever. You got to admit, it was a clever meme, but they can't admit it. That, that's the crazy thing here. Um, there's just no, no, no humor. No humor at all. Meanwhile, the president's out having a blast on the campaign trail last night. A few weeks ago, the United States Special Forces brought the world's number one terrorist to justice. Thanks to the strength and courage of our warriors, and they are great warriors, the bloodthirsty savage known as al-Baghdadi is now dead. And he was quickly replaced by his second in command. And his second in command is now dead. Yeah, they got stuff to cheer about. He's the president. He can reshape the conversation. You know, they talk about the elite. You're the elite. They're not the elite. You're the elite. 
You're the elite. You got better education. You got better. You got better everything. You're the elite. It always bothers me. They said the elite. This is the elite. Look at these people. How beautiful. This is the elite. You know who is the elite? You look at those jobs reports, where the best in history unemployment for African Americans, best in history unemployment Hispanic Americans, best in history unemployment Asian Americans. You're the elite. You're the elite. Any Democrat that votes for this sham will be voting to sacrifice their House majority, their dignity, and their career. Okay. And he threw in a dig on Joe Biden. Hey, do you ever notice where Biden keeps saying he's in the wrong state? Like if he's in Ohio, it's great to be in Iowa tonight. If he's in Pennsylvania, it's wonderful to be in the state of Delaware. What is wrong with this guy? What's wrong with him? There's something wrong. Okay, there's something wrong. No, he, he keeps, how many times can you do that? So far, it could happen, because you know, I was doing six and seven a day that last month, that last beautiful month that I loved. I was doing six. I left these guys alone. I didn't want to do interviews. They were a waste of time. We just did these big, beautiful rallies. I was doing, and you know, if you start getting a little, you know, I went to Michigan, then I went to Wisconsin, then I went, I'm saying, saying you know, like, what the hell is going on? These crowds are incredible. And we had the biggest crowds. By the way, to this day, there has never been, and they'll always correct me, in the history of politics, in the history of our country, there has never been anybody that drew crowds like we draw. And I don't have a guitar. I have no guitar. But this has never happened. <laughs> Here's the thing. Let's just get, can we step away from the merits for just, I got some Doug Collins audio on the merits. We'll get there. On the politics of impeachment, I was in law school, I guess. Uh, it had just started law school when the Clinton impeachment happened. And while the impeachment was happening, Bill Clinton was flying around the country, rallying Democratic voters, whipping them into a frenzy, getting them excited. And there was no corresponding Republican who could do that. It wasn't a campaign year. Now, it is a campaign year with this impeachment trial, but it'll be happening when you got a bunch of Democrats who will be in the Senate and can't leave during the trial. And the other Democrats, maybe Joe Biden can go out and do that. Obama's not going to go out and do that. Clinton's not going to be wanted on the campaign trail to do that. So the president can go out there and rally as not just the commander-in-chief and the president with Air Force One and all the spectacle and motorcade, but the Democrats are still fighting over who's going to be the person on their side. And in fighting over who's going to be the person on their side to, to figure it out and make it happen, uh, they're, they're going to have trouble with a consistent message against the president other than orange man bad. 
The president, meanwhile, can talk about how they're wasting time. They're not getting things done. They're dragging things out. Now, that's one reason that Nancy Pelosi is trying to do USMCA and, and paid family leave at the same time is she wants to neutralize the Democrats' uh, uh, ability or the, neutralize the Republicans' ability, rather, to go out and say, look, they're doing nothing. Uh, she wants to be able to go out and and say, look, we're getting all this other stuff done, too. Uh, but then that gives legitimacy to the president. So it gives legitimacy to the president, and it doesn't give legitimacy to the Democrats because the Democrats are still squabbling. It allows the president to do massive fundraising with the base. I got a text message from random number yesterday. Where is this number? Um, da, 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 da. Uh, just I. This is worth it. Just bear with me. I realize. Um, yeah, here it is. Um, I got a text message. I don't know how I'm on the list, but turn on the news. House Democrats are filing articles of impeachment. We've activated emergency 5X matching to defend President Trump here. And you click through the link and you go to that win red site and oh, it's 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 not to fundraise for the president. It's to help Drew Ferguson and House Republicans defend Trump. It is. Um, it, it will. Def- it will help. Look, I. This is. The, I didn't even realize yesterday. I assumed it was from the president's campaign, um, and it's not. It is from the campaign of Drew Ferguson from here in Georgia. You click the link and go through, and it is helping Drew Ferguson and House Republicans defend Trump. So it's Drew Ferguson who is fundraising off of this. It's not even the president yesterday with the text message. It's it, House Republicans are fundraising. It, it's it's incredible, incredible that they're doing it. Uh, incredible that uh, they got this fundraising set up. I- incredible that the Democrats are marching into a campaign season. They do not have yet chosen their designated leader to counter the president. Imagine, j- just just contrast the setup right now, where you've got the president versus 2,000 Democrats. And each of those Democrats has their own message. Some of them are more moderate. Some of them are or more progressive. Some of them really hate the president. Some of them want to make it about his policies, not about him. They've got a mixed message. And then the House Democrats are stepping all over each other versus one man. Imagine if the Democrats had one person to counter the president on the campaign trail. And you would think that Biden would be able to do it. But, you know, that that's not going to happen. Because you got all the Democrats in the Senate who also want to be president as well. And they're not going to let Biden have unified message. And then you got Buttigieg out there. Buttigieg isn't going to let, let the Democrats in the Senate take any credit on, on this stuff. He's going to go for it. Who else do you have out there? Uh, now, oh, you got Bloomberg out there and you still got Steyer out there. Let's not forget them. Bloomberg is pouring massive amounts of money into the efforts. In fact, Bloomberg may be able to do this because here's the thing. Bloomberg wants to be able to run attack ads against the president at the candidate rate, which you may not realize is that, uh, for example, on this radio program, I cannot, uh, so just let, let me pull the curtain back so you can see behind the business. We give this radio show away for free at no cost to the stations that are running it, and we give them 17 minutes 
of time that they can use for local news, uh, commercials, traffic, anything they want. And our long-term business model is we will take my time talking and insert some advertisers. We're doing it Chris Burns now uh, as our first big advertiser with Dynamic Money. By the way, happy birthday to Chris Burns. It's his birthday today. Um, so, and, and we're tr- we'll be trying to insert some ads uh, during my talk time. So if you want to shut me up, uh, you can buy ads on all. <laughs> On this show, statewide in Georgia. So you come on this show, you, your ads hit every part of Georgia. Uh, but uh, we can't take ads from candidates. We can take Super PAC ads because Super PAC ads, uh, you run at a commercial rate and, and you don't have to do disclosures and affidavits for them. Uh, we cannot do candidate ads because if I were to put a candidate ad, for example, uh, the Leffler campaign already reached out and said, "Would you? can we run ads on your show? It'll be one-stop shop, hit all of Georgia at one time. And I said, no. Because I would have to file an affidavit with the FCC and the FEC, and each local station we're on would have to do the same thing for that ad. It's too much of a bureaucratic nightmare for local commercial stations to have to do if I were to do something like that to them. Um, And so it's, it's a difficult thing to do, but... The reason I can do it with super PACs is because they're they're not considered candidates with a candidate rate. Candidates get a discounted rate to advertise on broadcast airwaves. It's one of the deals that the radio station gets the right to use airwaves in this country. And in exchange, they have to allow candidates for federal office that doesn't apply to state and local, by the way, federal office to broadcast at a discounted rate. Bloomberg wants to be able to savage the president. If Bloomberg were to start up a super PAC to savage the president, he would have to pay commercial broadcast rates. But Bloomberg running for president means he can attack the president and run an entire nationwide ad campaign against the president, and he'll only get charged candidate rates. So he will save some money. The man's not stupid. He's a billionaire for a reason. He doesn't want to be president. He just wants to savage the president without paying super PAC commercial rates on radio and TV. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. If you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Man, I haven't even gotten to William Barr yet. Uh, We we are bogged down with the president's rally. I, I I, want to shift gears. Uh, and this is, I realize we're a Georgia show and I'm about to talk about Texas, but I, I want you to pay attention to this story uh, and consider it a challenge for Georgia. In Texas, new state figures show more children are leaving foster care for safe, permanent homes than are entering the child welfare system. Adoptions surged past 6,000 for the first time, according to Child Protective Services. Additional resources, combined with a tenacious work ethic, have led to unprecedented success for the uh, Department of uh, Family and, and Child Services, said Governor Greg Abbott. Texas is better because a record number of children have been adopted in 2019 and are experiencing the joy of a loving home this Christmas season. More than 20,000 children left Texas foster care, including more than 6,000 who were adopted in fiscal year 2019. More than half of the adoptions, 3,095, were by relatives, also a new record. The number of children leaving foster care outnumbered the number entering foster care by more than 1,700 children, a trend the state hopes will continue. While the number of children entering the state's care has dropped in recent years to 18,615, 
the number of adoptions has increased uh, by 25% in the last decade. I bring this story up because here in Georgia, we have a lot of kids still in foster care, uh, and the number continues to grow in large part because of the continuation of the opioid crisis. Um, Parents who get addicted to drugs, families addicted to drugs. Um, I was reading a story the other day about, gosh, where was it? Brunswick, maybe? Somewhere in uh, McIntosh County. Yeah, McIntosh County. A family where all of the adults in the house have an opioid addiction. And the kids have had to go into foster care. It's really amazing to me. It's sad. It is so sad to hear, uh, so sad to, to think about. And, and, you know, I've seen research. I was talking to a market analyst a while back who told me that uh, on particularly TV news, one of the topics that local TV news and local radio news, for that matter, are encouraged not to cover is the opioid crisis, uh, which is a huge crisis the national media is covering. Why is local news encouraged not to talk about it? Well, it's because every single person listening to me right now probably knows someone who has battled or is battling uh, an opioid addiction. That's how pervasive it is. And it depresses you, and so you don't want to think about it. And so here I am killing everybody's ratings talking about it. But seriously, though, um, foster care in Georgia needs your help. Uh, DFACs actually need your help getting presents to kids this Christmas season. If you want to help DFACs cover this, is taxpayers don't pay for Christmas presents for kids. you got to step up and help DFACs. You can text DONATE to 33777, and I'll send you back the link to DFACs where you can donate to their Santa program for kids in foster care. Um, let's get every kid in Georgia who's in foster care a Christmas present this year. It's time for me to tell you about my favorite toothbrush. Uh, Holiday season is approaching and you can get the Quip. The Quip is actually, it's a great stocking stuffer. It's a great toothbrush. You know, I had one of those $100 Sonic vibrating toothbrushes and you had to take the charger with you. It it was just, it was garbage. Uh, I didn't like it. The brush head was very small. You could not get the brush head on the toothbrush in the back of your mouth to actually clean uh, the the back of your teeth. The Quip is designed by designers and dentists working together. You can totally tell. It's got sensitive Sonic vibrations and a timer with 30-second pulses to guide your routine. Uh, You got the Quip floss dispenser. It has pre-marked strings, so you can always use the right amount. Uh, you got the Quip sends you a new brush head every three months. They've got a great, 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 great toothbrush and now flossing as well. Just go to getquip.com slash Erickson to save on gift sets. Get your first brush head refill pack for free with a refill plan. So you get your first brush head refill for free at getquip, Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson, getquip.com slash Erickson. It is a great toothbrush. It is the toothbrush that I have been using for multiple years. My wife and child use it as well. I really do recommend Quip. I really am a user, and I was before I started doing this commercial. That's why I really recommend it. GetQuip.com. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson across the state of Georgia, from the North Georgia Mountains to the Florida line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic Coast, and now through Middle Georgia. Uh, You know, you drive down 75 from Chattanooga all the way to Florida now, and you can hear me from 9 to noon. That's fantastic. And and I-16 all the way from Macon to Savannah. So you get to Savannah. We're working on the Savannah market. Uh, Welcome. Uh, Glad to have you with me. The phone number, if you would like to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I feel obligated to note 
It is cold. They had flurries uh, all the way into the North Atlanta suburbs last night. Uh, it is 32 in Adairsville, 46 in Athens, 37. It's colder in Atlanta. It's 37 at the airport in Atlanta and 46 in Athens. Blue Ridge is still below freezing at 30. Uh, Carrollton 36, Clarksville 39, Dalton 34, and then you get into South Georgia and it starts to warm up. Jasper 36 and 34 in Rome where they had some snow. I, I was told, uh, now I was not up there to experience it myself, uh, but I am I am totally happy to, um, to go up to Rome and hang out and watch the snow. My kids are desperate for snow. Uh, being in Macon, the odds of us getting snow, uh, we get it like every three or four years, and we had it, I guess, two years ago, so we probably got to go another year. Of course, global warming, you'll never get snow in Macon again, and it's all your fault, Erickson. Whatever. Okay, um, so I, I got to get into some of the campaigning that's going on out there in light of impeachment. You should know that there is going to be a House debate on impeachment uh, this evening. And uh, we're going to have all sorts of, of fighting, fighting, fighting. Um, and among the Democrats and Republicans, it is fairly well a foregone conclusion that they're going to pass it, but the odds are they're going to lose some Democratic votes. In fact, Anderson Cooper had on Eric Swalwell last night to discuss this. Do you, uh, do you believe that every Democrat in the House will vote for them? And, and what message will it send if they don't? Well, it's my hope that uh, every member uh, would you know, consider the evidence and vote for the articles, Anderson. Uh, but it is really truly a personal uh, decision, and there will be no lobbying uh, by anyone in leadership uh, on this. This is a matter of conscience of your constituents and the Constitution. Okay. Well, we'll see how much they get. There's polling out, Emerson polling, and, and I'm not a huge fan of Emerson polling, but... Uh, they gets media buzz here. Here's what we've got in the first. This is uh, in Iowa. In the first district in Iowa, uh, a, that was a Democratic takeover. Impeachment is opposed by a plurality of voters, 45, 43, with 12 percent unsure. The second district uh, is a longtime Democratic district. Uh, it shows a similar margin, but in favor, 46, 42, with 12 percent unsure. The third district, uh, which is a, a another Democratic takeover, impeachment is more unpopular, 48%. This is a district that leans Republican but went Democrat in 2018. 48% oppose it, 43% support, uh, support it, 9% undecided. In Steve King's district, uh, which is the last Republican congressional district in Iowa, 66% of voters oppose it. President Trump leads all potential Democratic opponents in head-to-head matchups in Iowa. He leads Biden 49 to 45, which is actually pretty incredible with the setup there. Uh, so impeachment polling is not great, uh, but uh, Emerson has a pretty dismal reputation uh, as a pollster. So there is that, and people should be mindful of that fact. Uh, but the methodology from Emerson, I've always thought is, is well, as a buddy of mine is referring to it on Twitter right now, hot garbage. So uh, don't put a ton of stock into that. But uh, I will say this for the Emerson poll, it is consistent with a lot of the other polling out there that in the swing states, it is not a, it is not very popular. 
Um, the the whole idea of impeaching the president among swing districts and swing states isn't popular. You know what? I'm I'm going to deviate uh, from from where I was going to go with the show. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, but I want to go back to something I talked about yesterday. Uh, not a broken record, I, I hope, for most of you. And we'll take your phone calls, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We need to talk about Fox and how this impacts impeachment. For the last several weeks, actually, we've had a lot of Democrats, in fact, complaining and members of, of other news networks complaining about Fox's great sway over uh, over voters. Morning Consult uh, has some data out. They do a lot of polling, and it turns out that in 70% of congressional districts, Fox News is the most watched news outlet. I, I want to give you some of this data so you can take sh uh, take stock of this. Fox is the most watched cable news outlet in 299 of the country's 436 districts by a margin of at least two points. The conservative-leaning cable giant, which launched in 1996, has led basic cable and total daytime day viewers for 40 consecutive months, according to Nielsen. Residents in 63 districts watch nonpartisan CNN the most by the same margin, and left-leaning MSNBC is the most watched cable news network in just one district, California's second, which is north of San Francisco. Expanding that margin underscores the power of Fox News, which boasts a consumption average of at least 10 points over the other outlets in 104 districts, including 10 in Florida and 15 in Texas, while CNN reigns in 16 districts, seven of which are in California. MSNBC uh, disappears as a top outlet uh, when you get to a 10-point margin over other over uh, networks. Just one district has a majority of residents turning into one outlet regularly. In New York's 12th congressional district, 56.3% of residents watch CNN at least once a week. Independents, who according to the data, consume the three cable news networks at a lower rate than Republicans or independents and are often a decisive voting bloc, are slightly more likely to consume Fox News. It's the most watched cable channel among independents in 306 districts by a two-point margin, while independents in 56 districts watch CNN the most. MSNBC, pay attention to this one. MSNBC was not the most watched cable news outlets among independents anywhere in the country. Fox News also has the highest floor among all adults by congressional district. California's 27th, which has been a solidly Democratic district since 2001, has the lowest viewership of Fox News and still one in five residents tune in at least once a week. I bring all of this up to say the Democrats went into impeachment with a decision to not even try to get Republicans. I mean, let's not dance around this. And the Democrats want to dance around with it, and the media is helping them spin this. But the reality is the Democrats went into impeachment, and they really did believe that they would never, ever be able to get any Republican to go along with the idea of impeaching the president. And so they weren't even going to try to persuade Republicans. Instead, what they decided to do is a two-pronged approach. If you support the president, you're enabling corruption, and you're, you're a partisan. If you support the Democrats, you're a patriot. You're either a patriot or a partisan. You can't do any other option. There, there are no other options for you. Now, that's not actually the way the world works. 
the Democrats have made a fundamental mistake of believing the press related to impeachment. They really do believe the president can go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and all the Republicans would be okay with it. They, they believe that. If you're listening right now and you're a partisan on the left, the odds are you believe that. And I can tell you it's not true. It's not true. The Republicans in Congress, however, know that they have a very steep burden when it comes to the president's base because the president's base is very loyal. So you got to find something that really gets those Republicans in Congress to decide it's, it's worth me voting against my constituents or I'm going to join you and maybe we can persuade constituencies bad, but they can't do it. And one of the reasons that the Democrats can't do it is because they've been out to get the president since the very beginning. It is a boy who cries wolf scenario. They've been demanding the impeachment of the president since day one. The media has been demanding the impeachment of the president since day one. And so it becomes harder and harder for them to make a claim that there is something impeachable when for so long they've been out to get the president and they've never been able to uh, get to a point where it looks like they were willing to give the president any sort of benefit of the doubt. I mean, they've been after the president since day one. And because they've been after the president since day one, now that they're saying, oh, hey, look, we, we got to do something, it makes it not very credible as far as the Republicans are concerned. Often Let's people not forget who this don't audio. have a voice. Uh, and uh, Nope, that's the wrong audio. I, I Remember the, the bombshell audio I, I paid for you, or played for you, where the Democrats are just uh, bombshell, 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 bombshell. Huge bombshell, breaking news, bombshell. Uh, the day that things change, turning point, for three years they've done that. So they needed to do something, and what they needed to do is they needed to be able to make the case, and, and here's the key. They needed to be able to make the case on Fox. Not to Sean Hannity, not to Tucker Carlson, not to Laura Ingram, but to Martha McCallum, to Brett Baer, to Bill Himmer, to Fox and Friends to be able to go on and have a conversation with them. But you will recall, by and large, the position of the Democrats is to never go on Fox. You have more Republicans who will go on MSNBC and CNN than you will have Democrats who will go on Fox. The Democrats have failed to make their case because they didn't want to make their case. And now this data comes out and shows that overwhelmingly independents and Republican-leaning voters watch Fox. So you've got a large segment of the public who is engaged with the news and they're not hearing from the Democrats because the Democrats on choices. The Democrats themselves are the ones who decided not to go on Fox. The Democrats themselves are the ones who decided not to make the case to Republicans. The Democrats themselves are the ones who decided not to do a deep dive into impeachment and try to persuade some of these Republican members of Congress. For God's sakes, you've got over 20 Republican members of Congress who are quitting Congress at the end of the year. More than half of them do not like the President of the United States. They badmouth him behind the scenes regularly. Most of them do. And the Democrats can't even get these people to go for impeachment. Here's the thing the Democrats should be asking themselves. You've got all of these retiring members of Congress, many of them who do not like the president of the United States. 
and yet they can't get these members of Congress who are leaving, who never have to stand before the voters again, who can give the middle finger to the voters and the president they do not even like, and they're not picking them up. Why? Why is Will Hurd not voting for impeachment? Why are these other Republicans who are leaving, who don't care for the president, not voting for impeachment? And the Democrats don't even want to ask themselves the question. They don't want to engage with the question. It's because they haven't made the case. They've done this as a political effort to harm the president for re-election. Every single conversation the Democrats have had in the last six months has been about fighting the president next year on the campaign trail. They've never even contemplated internally based on their own actions and rhetoric. They've never contemplated internally impeachment would be successful. It was all a publicity stunt. There are Republicans in this Congress who do not like the president and would be happy to see him gone, and they do not care what you or I think. And the Democrats have not been able to persuade a single one of them to go along for the ride on this. Why? The Democrats should be asking that question, and they're not. And that tells you everything you need to know about the Democrats and impeachment. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. I want to, for those of you who are listening online, Facebook Live, by the way, apparently there's a little bell on Facebook where you can click the alarm bell. Um, Philip, who works with me, keeps telling me to tell people who are watching on Facebook Live to click that so you'll always know when I'm live on Facebook. Uh, But I, I, I want to discuss Christmas lights for just a minute. I, y'all, I was up in Bartow County uh, Friday night at, at Senator Bruce Thompson's house for a party, and there is someone in his neighborhood, and they all refer to him as Griswold. Uh, it, it was it was incredible the amount of lights one person has put in their house. Their entire yard, the grass had green lights spread all over. I mean, it was incredible. I don't know what that person's power bill is. My kids want me to put more lights outside. I normally do put more lights outside, uh, but I, I just haven't yet. But uh, I, I want to... I want to go over some lights. Curbed.com has some uh, recommendations for Christmas lights in uh, Georgia. Uh, This isn't a comprehensive list, but it covers a a good portion of the listing area. If you've never been to the Botanical Gardens in Atlanta, I do recommend the Atlanta Botanical Gardens. I'm going to take my kids there. Uh, They got some great, great, great uh, Christmas lights uh, in downtown Atlanta and at the Botanical Gardens at uh, Atlantic Station in Atlanta. Uh, but then they've got Lights for Life in Marietta uh, Sunday through Thursday from dark to 9 p.m. on weekdays until 10 p.m. on Fridays and Saturdays through the end of the year. Uh, the Life University of Marietta, you can get Lights of Life. Um, the Fantasy and Light in Callaway is, is my favorite. Uh, if you've never been to Callaway, uh, down in Pine Mountain, you need to get down to, I love going to Callaway. Uh, anyway, uh, I genuinely like Callaway Gardens. It is a fun place to go, just relax and decompress. Um, we used to take the kids down there every summer. We hadn't been in a few years, uh, and they just got, they got crowded, but it's great. And the lights there are incredible. They've got the magical night of lights at Lanier Islands. Uh, they've been going on since 1993 and, uh, they go through the end of the year, but admission goes up starting December 20th. If you want to go to that, 
in Canton, there's the Holiday Lights at Veterans Park. In Barnsley Gardens, uh, they have a tremendous light display for Christmas. If you've never been up there for Christmas, beautiful, beautiful light display up at Barnsley Gardens. Highly recommend that. They've got all their gardens decorated in lights. Lots of Christmas trees. That's in Adairsville. If you're in Rome or Dalton or Jasper, you should absolutely get over there uh, to the Festival of Lights. Um, And then there is here in Macon, where I am. They've got the entire downtown decorated in lights now. Uh, I had heard it was 150, 200,000 lights. I was corrected at a dinner last night. They've now got 500,000 lights. Uh, the Macon Pops have recorded a bunch of music, and the lights are in sync with them. It's it's a beautiful display. Uh, I, that's the information I have now. If you've got big displays of lights in your area, I'm assuming there are some in Athens, uh, in, in northeast Georgia and the like, happy to give them a shout-out as well for people to be able to get uh, get to them. I love putting up the Christmas lights. Well, I used to. This year, Christmas and, and Thanksgiving were so compressed, I just didn't get a chance to do it all. And every time I've thought about going out and adding more lights, the weather sucked. Uh, so I haven't. But I do have some more lights I probably need to add outside. But can I confess to you guys something? I haven't put out the nativity. And normally I put out the nativity. We've got several nativity pieces, and I forgot to put them out. I got so busy with everything else, getting the tree up and getting the lights up outside and and getting the nutcracker out on the We got a giant nutcracker on the front porch. I totally forgot to do the nativity, and I guess I need to. I was talking to, to Marty Kemp, the governor's wife, last Friday, and they have a number of nativity scenes in the governor's mansion, and she's gone through and she's taken all the baby Jesus out. Now, I've heard, I've never met someone who grew up this way. I've heard of people who grew up this way, but she said when she grew up, um, the, the baby Jesus was put out on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve before he went to bed. You put out baby Jesus, so he's there on Christmas morning uh, for the nativity. So she's taken the baby Jesuses out and she'll put them out uh, for Christmas morning because that's when Jesus comes. And I, I I finally know someone who's done that. I've, I've heard, like I know friends who say, oh yeah, my friend grew up and you never put Jesus in the nativity until Christmas morning. Now, as, as the first lady of Georgia was telling me, she, she's put them away and she's hoping in the governor's mansion, which they're still getting used to, that she'll remember where they all are when Christmas morning comes. So, so baby Jesus can come out on display. All right. We got more stuff coming up. The Quinnipiac polling for Joe Biden is pretty incredible numbers. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's running in the 6th Congressional District here in Georgia against Karen Handel uh, for the opportunity to run against Lucy McBath, is flirting with the idea of moving up to Rome to run in Tom Graves' seat. This seat covers northwest Georgia. The center of it is Rome. It stretches down to Paulding County as well. And uh, she's thinking of leaving the six where she lives and moving into that congressional district to run in the the Northwest Georgia seat that Tom Graves has held. He is retiring. We will get into all of that, and we'll do a deep dive on impeachment so you can be the most educated person in your circle of friends on what impeachment actually means. This tells you everything you need to know about the the state of the Democratic Party right now, the Vox kids, uh, Matthew Iglesias tweeting, Democrats, we're prioritizing electability. Also Democrats, our top three choices are septuagenarians, one of whom can't speak coherently. The other two want to raise taxes to give free abortions to illegal immigrants. Our fourth fourth choice is mayor of a small town. That's kind of the problem that the Democrats are having right now. 
Uh, Joe Biden maintains his lead in the Democratic poll. And in fact, he's he's bounced a little bit. Uh, Buttigieg has gone down a little bit. Warren and Sanders coming back up uh, slightly. Uh, Sanders now leading Elizabeth Warren again. Let me give you the 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 a real clear politics polling average on this, and then look at some of the polling in particular. Some good pollsters have come out worth paying attention to. Biden twenty eight point five percent, Sanders seventeen point eight percent, Warren fifteen point three percent, Buttigieg nine. Bloomberg 5.5. In the Economist YouGov poll, good pollster, Biden 26, Sanders 16, Warren 21. So Biden 26, Warren 21, Sanders 16, Buttigieg 11, Bloomberg 4. Quinnipiac uh, just came out. Biden is 29, Sanders 17, Warren 15, Buttigieg 9, Bloomberg 5. Monmouth University also came out 26 for Biden, 21 for Sanders, 17 for Warren, 8 Buttigieg, 5 Bloomberg. And the Politico uh, morning consult poll, 30 for Biden, 22 for Sanders, 16 for Warren, 9 for Buttigieg, 6 for Bloomberg. So again, with the polling average, taking all the polling averages, there are a couple other polls in there. I wanted to stop uh, and just do the ones that were completely in December. You've got Biden 28.5, Sanders 17.8, Warren 15.3, Buttigieg 9, and Bloomberg 5.5. The most remarkable thing about this is that in Dece- on December 11th, 2018, before Joe Biden was even a formally declared candidate, he was at 29% in the Real Clear Politics polling average, and today he is at 28.5%. That's pretty consistent for Joe Biden. Joe Biden has never gotten below 26% in the polling average. He has never gotten. The only person who has ever gotten ahead of Biden in the real clear politics polling average was Elizabeth Warren and Biden. And they were statistically tied on October 8th, 2019 with Warren at 26.6% and Biden at 26.4%. Now, here's the thing about the Quinnipiac polling that is so amazing. In the Quinnipiac poll, Joe Biden has 51% of black voter support. 51% black voter support. That is obscenely high for any of these candidates right now, and it suggests he's not going anywhere. Um, the, the, I mean, just, just let me, let me, let me put this in perspective for you. Uh, the margin of error for Quinnipiac, hang on, let, let me make sure I get the margin of error right for Quinnipiac. The Quinnipiac margin of error is, oh gosh, I'm sorry. I thought I had it immediately up. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, da, 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 da. Um, margin of error is 2.5%, 2.5%, self-identified registered voters, margin of error 2.5%. Okay. 665 democratic voters with a 3.8% margin of error for the democratic internal. So with the democratic internals, Joe Biden is 51% with black voters. Sanders is 13%. Warren is 12%. No idea is at 10%. 
Bloomberg is at 4%. Buttigieg is at 2%. Klobuchar, 2%. Steyer, 2%. Yang, 2%. Everyone else less than 1%. So don't know who I'm voting for is six points ahead of Bloomberg, eight points ahead of Buttigieg. With a 3.8% margin of error, Buttigieg could still have negative votes with black voters. He could still be negative votes with black voters because the margin of error is 3.8% and he's only getting 2% of the vote. Buttigieg continues to be a candidate rich white people like, and that's going to start weighing on him in Iowa. And the reason it's going to weigh on him in Iowa is what is the most important thing about the Iowa caucuses? What is the most important thing about the Iowa caucuses? Do, 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 do. Anybody got an answer? I'll tell you. It's first. The Iowa caucuses are, particularly among the Democrats, highly unrepresentative of the Democratic Party. It is overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly old, overwhelmingly straight. It is not representative of the Democratic Party. The diversity of Iowa is the diversity of snowflakes. Every single one is individually unique, and they're all white. That is the Iowa caucus. And it's going to be problematic for Pete Buttigieg because though Iowa is really white, the Iowa caucuses, the most important thing about it is first. And the Iowa caucuses want to stay first. And the Iowa caucus voters, Democrat and Republican alike, really do believe if you go too far outside the mainstream of electability and candidates, that's going to hurt their rationale for staying first. If Iowa were to give Pete Buttigieg the nomination and then he flamed out everywhere else, I mean, just blaze of glory, burns out, can't get traction anywhere then there would be a compelling argument for removing the first-in-the-nation caucus status for Iowa because the Iowa voters are so far out of line with everyone else. So as you get closer, what tends to happen, and, and there's been some political science research done on the polling here over the last number of caucuses and over the last several decades, that the candidates who are gaining traction in Iowa, but the news cycle is reporting they're not gaining traction anywhere else, they begin to fade in Iowa. And they begin to fade in Iowa because the Iowa voters, Democrats in their in their caucus, Republicans in their caucus, decide it would be bad for them to pick a candidate so far out of the mainstream of the Democratic Party with in terms of levels of support that they are cratering and lose their opportunity uh, to continue to be first in the nation. They can't go with someone who the rest of the party and the rest of the states reject. Now, let me read you some of the Quinnipiac polling data. In the Democratic primary race for president, Joe Biden is in the best position he's had since end of the summer. 29% of Democrats and independent voters who lean Democrat are supporting him. I, I love that they, they, they do the pronunciation guide. K-W-I-N, Quinn, U-H-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-P-E-A-
Biden is followed by Sanders and then Warren and then Buttigieg. Michael Bloomberg has 5%, Andrew Yang 4%, Klobuchar 3%. No other candidate tops 2%. In November, Biden had 24, Buttigieg 16, Elizabeth Warren 14, Sanders 13. This is the first time Biden has had a double-digit lead since August and Sanders' best number since June. While Warren's numbers seem to have stabilized, Buttigieg's numbers have dipped. Slightly more than half of all registered voters, 51%, think President Trump should not be impeached. Breaking news. This is actually a big headline. Slightly more than half of all registered voters tend to think the president should not be impeached and removed from office. 45% say he should be impeached and removed. Now, why is this important? If you are a longtime listener of this program, I'm letting your brain spin. Are you ready for this? I need you to pay attention to this, please. Just just while you're you're typing away on your keyboard at the office and you're listening to me, you're in your car and you're distracted, I, I need you to listen right now. Pay attention. I'm not going to whistle on the radio. 51% of registered voters think the president should not be impeached and removed from office. The reason this is important is because in groups of polls, registered voters tend to lean Democrat. If you were to survey all adult Americans, you would have a four to six percentage point skew towards the Democrats. When you poll registered voters, you have a two to four percentage point skew towards the Democrats. It's only when you get to likely voters that the Democrats have no more than a two percentage point polling, the margin of error, basically, two percentage points. The reason for that has a lot to do with uh, the lack of people who vote and and the self-identification of people who vote. There are actually more people in this country who lean towards the Democrats, maybe not socially, but they certainly do lean towards the Democrats. They view the Republican Party as the party of of rich, white, elite people, even though the Democratic Party now is the party of rich, white, elite people. Look at Buttigieg's success, but that's how the American public sees it. And so if you're a a poor to middle class person in this country, uh, you tend to still identify to this day as more Democrat and and tend to be more sympathetic to Democrats. It's only when you get to the people who actually vote in this country, the actual likely voters, where you get a real good mix of uh, evenness. So if you so you've got 51 percent of the president uh, should not be impeached and removed from office with registered voters. That means the odds are 53 to 54 percent of Americans actually oppose the president being impeached and removed from office when you get to likely voters. So a majority of Americans in this you add in likely voters, you see an even a bigger shift towards the president oppose impeachment of the president of the United States right now and removal. That's a pretty significant percentage point. If the general election for president were held today, 51% of registered voters, again, 51% of registered voters would vote for Joe Biden. So reduce that by two points, you get him at 49%. 42% say they would vote for President Trump. 
boost that by likely voters by two percentage points. So for it would be 44 to 48 for Biden against the president with likely voters. When Trump is matched against other Democratic contenders, the race remains in single digits. 51-43, Sanders versus Trump. 50-43, Warren versus Trump. 48-42, Bloomberg versus Trump. Uh, 48-43, Buttigieg versus Trump. 47-43, Klobuchar versus Trump. At this point in the 2016 cycle, Quinnipiac found that 47% of voters said they would vote for Hillary Clinton. 41% said they would vote for Donald Trump. Today, voters give the president his highest score on his handling of the economy. 54% approve of the way he's handling the economy, which is actually staggering that the presidents um, would lose to any of the Democrats, given that 54% of people approve of his handling of the economy. 57% of voters say they are better off today than they were four years ago. That's pretty striking. Now, among top Democratic presidential candidates, none are especially well-liked by registered voters. 44% to 47%, uh, favorable, unfavorable for Biden. 44-48, favorable, unfavorable for Sanders. 38-45 for Warren. 31-29 for Buttigieg. 24-23 Klobuchar. Uh, 21 uh, to 40 for Bloomberg. All of the Democrats are underwater, and so is the president. Here's the thing. Let's step back in the Wayback Machine real quick. Let, let's, let's go back to 2004. George W. Bush was losing to John Kerry. George W. Bush was losing to John Kerry. He was not ahead. But what happened? The Democrats took so long to get their nominee, and it was such a bloody affair, the Democrats attacking each other helped drag John Kerry down, and then George W. Bush had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to pour into his reelection campaign to do negative ads on John Kerry and drive up Kerry's negatives. Now, look at this. Look at this. The president's negatives are already factored in. He's already factored in. He's already the president. Everyone already knows him, and people don't like him. Whether you like him or not, most people don't even if they approve of his job rating. But among Democrats, Joe Biden is already underwater in terms of favorability. That'll shift. When, once he's the nominee, the Democrats, oh, we've always loved him. That'll shift. But the public at large, that's really bad for Joe Biden. And look at Elizabeth Warren. This is why Elizabeth Warren is not going to be the nominee for the Democrats. 38% favorability, 45% unfavorability for Elizabeth Warren among Democrats, she's not going to be the Democratic nominee. It's going to be Joe Biden. And the president's going to have hundreds of millions of dollars to define Joe Biden, while Joe Biden has to wait till he officially becomes the Democratic nominee to get any of that money from the Democratic National Committee. He can't spend money. It's going to be a problem for Biden. It's going to be a benefit for Donald Trump. I have a listener request. Uh, I, we got to go back to the first hour. For those of you who weren't here the first hour, you missed uh, the outrage. 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 It was outrageous. How dare he? Outrage of the president of the United States' campaign team tweeting out a meme. It was a video with the president's head digitized onto Thanos. As Thanos snaps wearing the Infinity Gauntlet and the Democrats holding their press conference about impeachment all turned to ash. 
Don Lemon was upset. I've had multiple listener requests. Not just one of you has wanted me to replay the Don Lemon audio. So you can has hear led it. him to the brink of impeachment. That's how we got here. In addition to all the lies and all the blustering at tonight's rally, Trump's war room posted a meme on Twitter today showing Trump as a supervillain Thanos from the Marvel Avengers movies, dispatching his Democratic en enemies. Take a look at this. On this solemn day, I'm, I recall that the first order of business for members of the silence for what, what are we in junior high school? Like, what the hell? Is, what is this? What? What? <laughs> That's me laughing. I, I cannot believe that I'm even having to report this on the news. This is cr this is crazy. This is literally crazy. Are you people insane? Are you, are you insane? Go ahead. Troll the Democrats on Twitter. Do this stupid, silly, you know what? Play this stupid, juvenile, mean game. History won't record this mean, stupid crap. But history will record this. The seriousness of what is happening. That today is the day that the House of Representatives in the United States of America introduced articles of impeachment against President Donald J. Trump, the President of the United States of America, for committing high crimes and misdemeanors. Anthony smirks just a little bit smiles slightly um you know don wants the president impeached uh where to go with this you know don lemon says in this that he can't believe he has to report on this he didn't have to report on it it was just a meme but it, you know one of the the most fascinating things in all of this is that the democrats uh, genuinely do take a position now that, or not the Democrats, the media, but I, I guess I do repeat myself there, that they, they, they feel compelled to cover everything the president does in tweets. Everything. Uh, and everything is a scandal and everything is an outrage. It's only an outrage and a scandal if you want it to be. It's only an outrage and a scandal if, if you want to work yourself up into a frenzy. If you don't want to work yourself up into a frenzy about it, uh, then it's not. Uh, th there's nothing. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. But they're, the, they are, are seriously upset about this. Of all things, all the things to be upset about. That is, it's fascinating to me that that's what they're upset about. Um, a meme on Twitter. 
I, I got to tell you, the 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 amount of people who just want to be upset about things these days, you do know you don't have to be upset. You you have to make a conscious choice to let this stuff bother you. You do actually have to make a conscious choice to let all sorts of stuff bother you. You don't have to let this stuff bother you. Uh, and yet so many people are. When we come back, let's do a deep dive on um, let's do a deep dive on impeachment so you can be your smartest person in your circle of friends and know everything and correct all of your friends. You can be the know-it-all. I'll help you. It's time for me to tell you about my favorite toothbrush. Uh, holiday season is approaching and you can get the quip. The Quip is actually, it's a great stocking stuffer. It's a great toothbrush. You know, I had one of those $100 Sonic vibrating toothbrushes and you had to take the charger with you. It, it was just, it was garbage. Uh, I didn't like it. The brush head was very small. You could not get the brush head on the toothbrush in the back of your mouth to actually clean uh, the, the back of your teeth. The Quip is designed by designers and dentists working together. You can totally tell. It's got sensitive Sonic vibrations and a timer with 30 second pulses to guide your routine. Uh, you got the Quip floss dispenser. It has pre-marked strings, so you can always use the right amount. Uh, you got the Quip sends you a new brush head every three months. They've got a great, 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 great toothbrush and nail flossing as well. Just go to getquip.com slash Erickson to save on gift sets. Get your first brush head refill pack for free with a refill plan. So you get your first brush head refill for free at getquip, Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson, getquip.com slash Erickson. It is a great toothbrush. It is the toothbrush that I have been using for multiple years. My wife and child use it as well. I really do recommend Quip. I really am a user, and I was before I started doing this commercial. That's why I really recommend it. GetQuip.com. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So what is the, the deep dive in the the House of Representatives, uh, when they uh, it, it, let, let's talk about the deep dive of impeachment with the House of Representatives is what I'm trying to say. Uh, a, hang on one second. Uh, House impeachment procedure. Um, I wanted to pull up. Yes, here we go. Uh, yeah, the you need to understand the precedent of what the Democrats are dealing with. And I want to make sure that you understand the history of impeachment. Uh, the history of impeachment is very interesting because you, impeachment actually happens more than you realize. And because it happens more than you realize, and there's actually a history behind impeachment there 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 is uh, a lot of historic arguments related to impeachment that get left out uh, and the place to go to look at that is the house practice and procedure house practice and procedure is a uh, essentially a legal guide that has been developed uh, historically over a number of, of generations, really. I mean, going back almost to the founding, a compilation of precedence and procedure. And I want to dive into this with you so that you understand the state of play. What's going to happen next? There's going to be a debate tonight on the floor of the House about impeachment. Uh, they will vote on articles of impeachment. 
and go from there. Now, historically, what happens is uh, there's a formal vote to begin impeachment proceedings, and the Democrats have somewhat contradicted their own practice and procedure in this, uh, And but they began by referring impeachment to a committee. They did it with Nixon. They did it with Judge Walter Nixon, Judge Alcee Hastings, Judge Samuel Kent, Judge Thomas Porteous. They did it with Bill Clinton, where a report comes into the House, and they refer it to a committee to begin consideration of impeachment, and that committee then drafts articles of impeachment, which are then voted on by the House. The the Democrats have defied that to some degree. Uh, they have, and it suggests they don't actually have the votes or have not had the votes, and now, of course, they're, they're rushing into this. Uh, let me read you this quote. This is from the House House Practice, the Manual on House Precedent Rules and Procedures. Under the modern practice, an impeachment is normally instituted by the House by the adoption of a resolution calling for a committee of investigation of charges against the officer in question. The committee may, after investigation, recommend the dismissal of charges or may recommend impeachment. Resolutions introduced through the hopper that directly call for an impeachment are referred to the committee of the, on the judiciary, whereas resolutions calling for a committee investigation with a view towards impeachment are referred to the committee on rules. It matters because the speaker has said the House wouldn't engage in a formal process and then decided that they would, and they bypassed that. Under normal circumstances, again, this is from House procedure, under normal circumstances, the distinction might not matter. It, it does this time because Democrats have asked for the help of federal courts to uh, sort out grand jury uh, testimony and decisions. Well, the judges have come back and said, look, this is whether the House did their old procedure or not. The Constitution says the House writes its own rules and they can do it how they want. And that's true. And that happens with the Senate as well. And it's part of the conversation that's been missing. The House and the Senate write their own rules under the Constitution and no court can undermine those rules. Impeachment is a political process, and it is a constitutional remedy, and it has happened more than 60 times, even if you haven't heard about it. It more frequently happens with judges than it does with anyone else. 19 of the 60 cases have resulted in impeachment by the House. President Johnson in 1868, uh, Secretary of War William Belknap in 1876, Senator William Blunt in 1797, President Clinton in 1998, and 15 federal judges. Only eight impeachments have led to Senate convictions. All of them have been federal judges. Now, I need to clarify for you, of the more than 60 times impeachment proceedings have begun, the majority of those times, all but 19, the committees abandoned the impeachment effort. So 19 of the cases resulted in articles of impeachment. An impeachment is instituted by articles of impeachment, which states the offenses charged. The articles serve a purpose similar to that of an indictment in an ordinary criminal proceeding. The power of impeachment is bifurcated by the Constitution. The House has the sole power of impeachment, and the Senate has the sole power to try impeachments. Impeachments can be brought according to the Constitution against the President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States. Conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors is followed by removal from office and may include disqualification to hold further office. 
The term impeach is used in different ways at various stages in the proceedings. A member may claim time on the floor to impeach an officer in presenting a resolution. The House votes to impeach in the constitutional sense. The Senate conducts a trial on articles of impeachment and either convicts by a two-thirds vote or acquits. Now, let me give you some history here. Because one of the contentions by the president and by the president's supporters is that the president of the United States is being charged with things that are not crimes. It is true. Abuse of office is not a federal crime that the president can be charged with. But more than two-thirds of the 60 impeachments that have proceeded through the House of Representatives were based on things that were not also crimes. Federal judges are subject to removal under the impeachment provisions of the Constitution. Of the 19 impeachments reaching the Senate, 15 have been directed at federal judges, and in eight of those cases, the Senate voted to convict. Impeachment proceedings were initiated against a member of the president's cabinet in 1876 when impeachment charges were filed against William Belknap, who was Secretary of War. The House and Senate debated the power of impeachment at length and determined that the secretary remained susceptible to impeachment and trial even after he resigned. The House and Senate have the power to impeach and try an accused official who has resigned. It was conceded a cabinet official can have that happen, and and on the record, it was conceded that both could. In the case of the impeachment proceedings against Richard Nixon and Judge George English in 1926, President Nixon resigned following the Committee of the Judiciary to report to the House uh, recommendations of his impeachment. Judge English resigned before commencement of a trial in the Senate, and it was agreed by all sides that the impeachment could continue, but they did abandon the matter anyway. The Constitution defines the grounds for impeachment and conviction as treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. When the House determines the grounds for impeachment exist, the articles of impeachment are presented to the Senate. Any one of the articles may provide sufficient basis for grounds of conviction. It's not an all-or-nothing thing. This House is going to pass out two articles of impeachment. They could convict him on either one. The phrase high crimes and misdemeanors has been interpreted by Congress broadly. The framers of the Constitution adopted the phrase from English practice. At the time of the Constitutional Conviction Convention, the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors had been in use for 400 years. There's your little trivia. In fact, you're at your Sunday school Christmas party this weekend and impeachment comes up. Did you know that by the time the Constitution was adopted, the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors had been in use for 400 years? in the British Parliament. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to pay attention to. Over that 400-year period in the British Parliament, when high crimes and misdemeanors was used, some involved actual crimes, but many did not. Since the Constitution was drafted, some of the impeachments charged high treason, others charged high crimes and misdemeanors. The latter include statutory offenses and non-statutory offenses. An offense must be serious or substantial in nature to provide grounds for impeachment. Now, here's the history that you need to know. 
The time when the offenses were committed is a factor to be taken into consideration. In 1973, the House declined to take any action on a request by Vice President Agnew for an investigation into allegations of impeachable offenses when the offenses were not committed during the term of his office as vice president. Exactly 100 years earlier, in a case that involved the vice president, the Committee on the Judiciary found that Shiler Colfax could not be impeached for an offense committed before his term of office as vice president. But there's more. Going back to the very origins of the country, the impeachment by the House of Senator William Blunt in 1797 was based on abusing the powers of office. It was alleged that he attempted to incite an Indian attack in order to capture certain territory for the British. He was charged with engaging in a conspiracy to compromise United States neutrality and with attempting to oust the president's lawful appointee as principal agent for Indian affairs. That would be George Washington's principal agent for Indian affairs. Although the Senate found it had no jurisdiction over the trial of an impeached senator, it expelled him for being guilty of a high misdemeanor entirely inconsistent with his public trust and duty as a senator. What is important here is that William Blunt was a signer and drafter of the United States Constitution, as were a number of his colleagues in the House and the Senate. They all participated in the drafting of the House and the Senate. He was the very first person to be impeached by the Congress after the Constitution had been ratified. The people who impeached William Blunt were people who had written the Constitution, had voted in favor or against the Constitution, had read the Federalist Papers, and George Washington was President of the United States. And the very first impeachment of the very first person conducted by members of the, of the um, signing party and drafting party of the Constitution in 1797 involved something that was an abuse of power but wasn't a crime. So friends who say the president can't be impeached unless he's violated federal law, you need to keep that in mind that the people who drafted the Constitution impeached someone for abusing power, but he didn't violate any federal law or state law for that matter. Uh, now, you should know that William Blunt, uh, the Senate expelled him, and he became a very popular politician in Tennessee thereafter. The impeachment of President Andrew Johnson in 1868 was based on allegations he had exceeded the power of his office. Johnson was charged with violation of the Tenure of Office Act, which purported to limit his authority to remove members of his own cabinet. Johnson believed the act was unconstitutional. He removed uh, William Stanton, the Secretary of War, and was impeached by the House three days later. Uh, and then he was acquitted in the Senate. In fact, one of the key points in the Senate uh, was an acknowledgement that... Uh, a fight over the constitutionality of a law is not impeachable. A serious abuse of the powers of the office was a charge included in the articles impeaching Richard Nixon in 1974. The Committee on the Judiciary found his conduct constituted a repeated and continued abuse of the powers of the presidency in disregard to the fundamental principle of the rule of law. Oh, hush, Siri. So, it wasn't a legal violation for Nixon. 
It was a abuse of power of the presidency. The House adopted two articles of impeachment against William Jefferson Clinton, and he was charged, accused of a crime. He gave perjurous testimony to a federal grand jury. But the House rejected two other articles of impeachment, alleging he gave false testimony in a federal civil action and that he engaged in conduct that resulted in abuse of his office by inadequately responding to questions posed by the Committee on the Judiciary. He was found not guilty. In other words, I, I bring all of this to your attention, and I hope I didn't bore you, but, but I wanted you to be able to have the knowledge to discuss this uh, intelligently with people. One of the arguments that continues to surface is that the President of the United States did not, compete, uh, did not uh, commit a federal crime. And since he didn't compete a federal crime, he can't be impeached. But that's not true. The very first impeachment by the very first Congress of a senator of the United States did not involve a crime. It involved an abuse of office. In fact, um, the, the, more, the most common impeachments are about abuse of office, not federal crimes. And you know what the second most common cause of impeachment is? Behavior grossly incompatible with the office. What is behavior grossly incompatible with the office? Well, Judge John Pickering was impeached in 1803 uh, because he was so drunk on the stand overseeing a trial uh, that the House and Senate decided his behavior was incompatible with the office. Associate Supreme Court Justice Samuel Chase was impeached in 1804. Uh, he was charged with permitting his partisan views to influence his conduct in trials. Uh, he was acquitted by the Senate. Judge Wes Humphreys was impeached by the House and convicted by the Senate on charges he joined the Confederacy without resigning his judgeship. Think about that. He was impeached for just not resigning his judgeship. Had he resigned his judgeship and joined the Confederacy, they wouldn't have impeached him. Uh, Mark Delaney was a judge. He was impeached in 1873 for personal habits that included getting drunk. Uh, and taking bribes, he resigned and the Senate failed to, to impeach. Uh, George English was impeached by the House in 1926 for showing judicial favoritism and his failure to be impartial. It was alleged that his favoritism had created distrust. He resigned. Uh, Sam Kent was impeached in 2009 for sexual misconduct with court employees. He resigned before the Senate uh, began its trial. And then, of course, there's Bill Clinton. Um, the third most common thing for impeachment is improper purpose uh, using the office for personal gain, which is where the Trump uh, impeachment would lie. So the, the top three reasons for impeaching someone are abuse of power, uh, behavior incompatible with the office, and using the office for personal gain, not for violating federal crimes. Uh, there, there are certainly federal criminal statutes uh, that have gotten people impeached, but including Bill Clinton, uh, perjury before grand jury is a federal crime. But by and large, it's abuse of office that gets them impeached, not federal crimes. So when you hear people this weekend at your uh, Sunday school party say the president hadn't been charged with a crime, how can he be impeached? Well, you can tell them, hey, we've had 60 impeachments since 1797, and two-thirds of them didn't involve federal crimes, just abuse of office. And the first ones were done by the signers of the Constitution. Welcome back. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Happening right now, they're having Judiciary Committee hearings in the Senate 
uh, on the uh, Horowitz report. Uh, Horowitz is testifying, and, you know, it, it actually sounds pretty bad for the FBI right now. Nevertheless, we found that investigators failed to meet their basic obligations of ensuring that the FISA applications were scrupulously accurate. We identified significant inaccuracies and omissions in each of the four applications, seven in the first application and a total of 17 by the final renewal application. You know, what's getting drowned out in all the conversation over the uh, over what the president did or did not do, uh, what the FBI did or did not do, is that the FBI takes out these FISA warrant applications and uh, they failed to disclose to a federal court uh, information that could have been exculpatory. And, well, here's the attorney general talking about what the FBI did. And I think that leaves open the possibility to infer bad faith. Do you still stand by your statement that, that, that the campaign was spied upon? Well, it's clearly spied upon. I mean, that's what electronic surveillance is. I think wiring people up to go in and talk to people and make recordings of their conversations is spying. I think going through people's emails, which they did as a result of the FISA warrant, they went through everything. It's funny to hear the Democrats suddenly say that that's not spying. That's where they're attacking Barr over is saying that, that that's not spying. Spying means something else. I don't know that that's going to go well with the American public if they find out the extent of what the FBI actually did. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson, and you can call me if you want. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Let's step away from politics for a little bit, shall we? I want to... I try it this time of year... To, to try to set your mind to other topics, um, things that, you know, it, it, we, we get so focused in the news and, and the news makes so many people so angry these days. And, and you, you gotta, you gotta make a choice to not be angry about it. And, and I don't want you to be angry about it. I, I, I want to tell you about a, a memory that happened this time in 2006 you remember it, these sorts of things so clearly because of the, the sadness about them. And it's a sad memory, but it, it's got a happy outcome. 13 years ago, the week before Christmas, I was sitting in the mud crying. I was sitting by the rear passenger tire of my old Acura that was falling apart. I had my one-year-old in my lap. It was raining. I was crying. And I was trying not to fall apart in front of my one-year-old and it wasn't working and the tears were running. My throat was hurting because I was trying to suppress crying and I really wanted to cry. I didn't have any energy to get up. I was exhausted. I had kept myself together the entire day. That day, 13 years ago, this coming week, I had held it in all day, and I was coming unglued. Christmas was a week away. That morning, I had lost my job. By the time the sun was setting on the day, my wife was given six months to live. 
Red State. I, I started RedState.com. I, I shouldn't say I started it. Three friends of mine started it, uh, Ben, Josh, and Mike, in 2004. They brought me on day one, and they put me in charge of it. And by 2005, I was the managing editor of it, the editor-in-chief of it. I was running it, and we were making money. I was even doing the books. Oh, I hated doing the books. Uh, but by 2006, the Democrats had taken over Congress. No one wanted to advertise on a uh, right-of-center conservative site, and we were out of money. Our ad revenue went to zero. And by Christmas, the week before Christmas 2006, uh, my business partners decided uh, that I needed to go find a new job. We were out of revenue. Nobody wanted to put ads on the site. So a week before Christmas, I found out I was going to be unemployed. And that day, my wife came home from a doctor's exam and was just ghost white. She told me that she had to go to the hospital. And they had found a blood clot in her jugular vein, which was really rare. They had found some spots in her lungs. And so she went off to the hospital and they decided they needed to do a lung biopsy. Now, Sean Hannity says, let not your heart be troubled. He says that on his radio show a lot. If you ever listen to Sean, he says it on TV as well. And it's not something he came up with. It's not something superficial. It's what Jesus said in the Bible. Uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Christy and I got married in the year 2000, October 14th, 2000. It's very easy for me to remember how many years we've been married because it was the year 2000 we got married. And within the first three months of us getting married, uh, in fact, it was the inauguration day, January 20th, 2001. We were in the hospital with her having a double mastectomy. Uh, she was 20 five years old, 26 years old, having a double mastectomy. She didn't have cancer. We knew she was going to get it. Every woman in her family on her mom's side had had cancer. Uh, we waited five years after that to have our first child. We figured there would be smooth sailing. But the Thursday before Labor Day in 2006, she called me from her office. She worked for Kirby Godsey, the president of Mercer at the time, and called me and she sounded like she was dying. I mean, she said she was dying. And they thought she maybe had a pulmonary embolism, and if not, that it was a blood clot. So they rushed her to the ER. They scanned her lungs. They found some spots there. They weren't concerned about them, but decided it must be a um, gallbladder. So we went to the beach for Labor Day with her parents. They told us we could go. Within 24 hours, she was having emergency surgery at the beach because her bile duct was blocked. She was miserable. She spent a week at the beach recovering. I spent a week at the beach with my one-year-old. I had spent my first year, uh, or, or Evelyn's first year, my daughter, traveling back and forth to Washington. I'd left my law firm to take a new job as we were getting Red State started. I had no memory of our first year. So we hung out at the beach together while Christy was in the hospital recovering. When we got home, we found a message on the answering machine from the local hospital in Macon saying they had seen something. Please come back. Uh, she needed surgery. <laughs> Good timing on their part. So she got back to the doctor the week before Christmas in 2006 to have the spot checked in her lungs, and they found this blood clot in her jugular vein. Uh, the doctors were worried about the clots and the spots. They decided to do a lung biopsy. It was raining that day, and they called me down a back hallway into a windowless little room with her parents. Well, I shouldn't say windowless little room. There was one window. You could see out into a corridor that was behind security doors. Nobody on the hall. And they told me that they had, uh, pathology had decided it was a very aggressive form of cancer. It had spread to her lungs. It was late stage. There was nothing we could do. She had about six months. 
So there I was, a week before Christmas in 2006, soon to be unemployed, sitting in the mud as the sun set, in the rain, holding a one-year-old, crying, with a wife who had six months to live. I got my daughter cleaned up eventually. We got inside, got dry, got her fed, got her in bed, had relatives come take care of her so I could go back to the hospital. You know, I had to be the one to tell my wife she had six months to live. The doctors had to go to the ER to help in the ER. And so I was the one who held her hand and looked her in the eyes as she woke up from anesthesia and said, they have figured out you've got cancer and it's too far gone and there's nothing we can do. There's nothing they can do. And she didn't believe me. And I got back to the hospital and and I told her again, by this time our preacher was there. And I told her again, I said, sweetheart, you're, they said there's nothing they can do. It's too far gone. We've got about six months. And we had conversations the way you have conversations when you think you're going to die. She didn't think she was going to die. I thought she was going to die. I knew she was going to die. The doctor said she was going to die. So we had those serious conversations. What if? What do I do? Do I remarry? Do I not? Do I stay in Macon? Do I move to Carrollton to be close to her family? Do I move back to Louisiana to be close to my family? What do we do? In the course of the conversation, the surgeon came in and told us that everyone had reviewed the biopsy. Pathology had looked at it again, and they were sure it wasn't cancer, and she wasn't going to die. They didn't know what it was. They'd never seen it before, and they were going to send it off for study. It had been a complete misdiagnosis. Turns out she had a benign condition. Within a day or so, Eagle Publishing, a group in Washington, D.C., reached out and wanted to buy Red State, and they kept me on as an employee. So I had my wife, and I still had my job. Now, fast forward four years from 2006, I hadn't had a pay raise. Uh, We were dependent on my and Christie's income. I was on her insurance because my insurance was too expensive. But this lung condition she had, though benign, caused her issues. And she wanted to stay home. She wanted to be with the kids. She wanted to raise the kids. Dr. Laura said, be a stay-at-home mom. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I went and got an application to get a job at Dillard's to sell suits. I mean, we were going to lose her income, but we were going to take a leap of faith. We were going to pray about it, and she was going to leave her job. And I mean, literally the next day, literally, I used that intentionally. It was literally the next day she got a pay, or I got a pay raise, and it was dollar for dollar what she was going to be losing. And I thought, you know what? God's got this. A week later, CNN came calling, and they offered me a job at CNN. I would not have been able to get the job I had at CNN had Christy not stayed home with the kids because I would have to travel a good bit for CNN. And so Christy needed to be home with the kids. And so she was able to stay home with the kids. And then CNN comes calling, paying me more money I'd ever made in my life. Uh, And God's got a plan. He took care of us. A, A year later, I was filling in on the radio here in Macon on WMAC, which, by the way, I'll be back on WMAC next week. They're going to start carrying the show next week. And uh, I was on the radio. I was volunteering. It wasn't my show. And and Cox Media Group needed someone to replace Herman Cain on their station in Atlanta. They thought I had a show, and they reached out to me and put me on the radio for him. Totally thought it was my show. It wasn't. 
Now, I'm telling you all of this because this is the holiday season and people start to look back and fret and wonder what they've done with their lives and what are they going to do with their lives and make their one-week plan, their one-year plan, their three-year plan, their 10-year plan, their their ultimate conquer-the-world plan, and then they realize they haven't conquered the world, they haven't met their plan, and they start getting depressed, and I'm telling you, God's got a plan. I'm telling you all this because I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in luck. I believe there's actually a big guy upstairs. I have experienced way too much in my life to think it's all atoms and physics and chemistry and coincidence. We've had pain in our house and misfortune and sadness. We've had a lot of joy too. I'm telling you, I my life is proof. My career trajectory is proof. God's got a plan. There's a man upstairs. You have no idea where he's going to lead. You're frustrated. You may be in a waiting room. You may not be able to see his plan. You may think that he's forgotten you. You may think you're stagnant. You may be anxious. You may be bored. You may be frustrated. You may be feeling like a failure. You may be giving up. You may just be settling into mediocrity. God's got a plan. Maybe he's trying to teach you patience right now. Maybe you just need patience. God's got a plan. I'm a natural pessimist. My family motto is, why pray when I can worry? But I'm actually pretty optimistic. As, as a pessimist, I'm an optimistic pessimist. I got hope because I am sure there's a higher purpose to it all. Even if you don't think there's a higher purpose to it all, I, I, I can tell you there is. There's not just rudimentary day-to-day existence in which we're living. There is a master plan to it. And I don't know what the master plan is for you, for me, what the master plan is overall, but we're all part of it. Some of you don't believe that. Some of you have rejected it. Some of you used to believe it and you've decided, no, it's not for me. No, we're just, we get up, we, we, we work, we go to bed, we eat, we, we, we sleep and that's just it. And then we die and everyone forgets us. Man, I can tell you, I have had so many experiences in my life though, where I I can, can see the hand of Providence in it. It's not just luck. It's not just coincidence. You are where you are at this very moment for a reason. You may be listening to me in the bathroom right now, and you're there for a reason. I know it sounds crazy. I know. I know. But listen, choosing to let not your heart be troubled, it's not easy. It's often hard. I mean, look at the news. We, we had terrorists shooting on a naval base last week. We've had random shootings around the country. Just yesterday, there was the violence in, in New Jersey. You got politicians and citizens at each other's throat. Everybody's tribal. The whole world looks like it's gone nuts, and you're the only sane person left. But the world's always been crazy. The world's always been nuts. We're just more noticed. Uh, we notice it more. We pay attention to it more because of the Internet these days. Bold events shock the conscious, but they also get ratings and headlines, so they're what's played up, and it makes you panic, it makes you stressed out, it makes you nervous, it makes you worry. We did this Back in my day, this didn't happen, except it did. You just didn't hear about it because you didn't have a 24-hour internet news cycle. We are on a big blue marble circling a giant ball of plasma, and if we get too close to it, we're going to burn up. If we get too far away from it, we're going to freeze to death. We are hurtling around a black hole at the center of a galaxy. Scientists believe one day is going to collide with another galaxy. We live on a crappy, hostile planet in a colder than ice, even more dangerous expanse of a vacuum with radiation, sweet meteors, and comets of death. The thought that we exist as we do at all seems absurd, and yet we do. There is a one-year-old out, one out there 
who's going to see her father cry and pat him on the face to tell him it's okay even though she doesn't understand. You're going to experience strangers like in Pensacola last week who ran towards the danger instead of away from the danger to help other people. You're going to have a neighbor next door to you in your apartment or your house who are willing to build community with you if you'll let them. The world's not fair. It's a crazy place. There is actually real bad. There is actually real evil. But the good shines through if you let it. The right overwhelms the wrong. The very real good slays the very real evil. The smile breaks through around the tears. It's your choice to be angry. You don't have to be mad in an insane world. You can be happy. You can choose to be optimistic. You can choose to let not your heart be troubled. You can choose to not let the politics of the day drag you down in despair and anger and tribalism. You don't have to have a spittle-filled rage about the impeachment or what the Democrats are doing or what the president is doing. I am a man who looked my wife in the eyes and told her she was going to die. And she didn't. Thank God. She's still with me. I can tell you confidently it is not easy to not let your heart be troubled, but it's a choice. I can tell you where so many people are politicizing everything and every hill is a hill to die on, you can choose whether to believe or not that there's good and evil in the world and there's a man upstairs with a plan, or you can just choose to believe you're an accident of nature, an evolved form that will one day die and let the worms eat your body. It's a choice. You make it. But I can tell you tomorrow the sun's still going to shine. There's still going to be smiles. There's still going to be people around you willing to be friends with you. You don't have to get angry and overwhelmed. God's got a plan. Thirteen years ago, God threw us a curveball. I lost my job and I nearly lost my wife. And it was a misdiagnosis. But do you know if my wife was not misdiagnosed in 2006? In 2016, we would have never gotten a call from the Mayo Clinic saying, we think your wife has lung cancer. Because of the misdiagnosis in 2006, they reached out to us in 2016 and said, you need to come in for a checkup. Had we not had that happen, we would not know she has the lung cancer she has. And we were able to catch it and get it treated and get a plan because God's got a plan. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. Let not your heart be troubled. Christmas is coming. The new year is coming. You're going to get reflective. You're going to start worrying. You're going to start thinking you haven't met your goals. You're going to start thinking you've got new goals you got to meet. You're going to be freaked out about what you're doing in your office, what you're doing in your career, how much money you're making, how much money you're going to make, how much debt you have, what your family's doing, what your kids are doing, what your kids are going to do, what your wife is doing or your husband's doing, what your spouse is doing, what your ex is doing not doing what you're doing. You're going to be stressed out. You're going to be worried. You're going to be trying to make the holidays picture perfect and happy. You got to make a constant, consistent, conscientious choice to enjoy your life and where you are and understand even though you don't see it and you're frustrated, God's got a plan and you're in it. You know, I mentioned that, um, time has made uh, Greta Thunberg the person of the year and it, several people are photo you know the cat meme the 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 real housewives woman who's pointing at the, the at, in the direction and there's the the angry the the white cat with a scowl on its face someone has photoshopped in the the uh, white cat as time's person of the year <laughs> 
Oh, that's the that's the internet I'm here for. Uh, it, it, it's wow, the the whole thing is crazy. Um, by the way, before I get out of here, I I, I got a story. Where did I see this? Um, uh, WRDW uh says it reports that the U.S. Department of Agriculture is putting up nearly 1.5 million dollars to help control Georgia's wild hog population. Uh, the funding is part of a program called the Feral Swine Eradication and Control Pilot Program. Uh, the funding will go to controlling the feral swine population as well as educating people about the impact the animals have on natural resources and wildlife. Wild hogs are an invasive species that threatens everything from farms to sea turtles. They can be territorial and aggressive. Yes, they can. Some of the funding is going to go to restoration efforts. I, I'm, I'm wondering... I guess um, eh, trapping in humane euthanasia for trapped swine or tactics uh, appropriate. Um, they're going to use other techniques as well. I'm, I'm, I think they should just use some of that $1.5 million to give us all bullets and we can go hunting, uh, hunt for the hunt for the pigs. A buddy of mine was telling me the other day that uh, he knows of some folks who put trail cams out all over uh, some hunting land where, where the, the wild hogs are. And they go out and they've got uh, suppressors on their guns and get out there when they see the hogs on the trail cam and, and shoot them uh, with, with suppressors. I just, the whole thing is, is hilarious to me. Uh, I, I have never been hog hunting. I've got a buddy of mine who was charged by a hog. Uh, they're smart animals. The uh, Hogs and turkeys are some smart animals. And I, I think there's part of them that, that they've got a human sense and enough to, to gloat. Uh, when you miss them or when they sneak off and, and you can't get them and it makes you even more angry. Um, that's just, I don't know, hogs or something. All right. Uh, before I get out of here, you need to know something. They are having the um, hearing right now before the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. And Chuck Ross from the Daily Caller is uh, tweeting it out. Uh, it notes that Lindsey Graham asked if James Comey is vindicated by the inspector general reports and, and the inspector general responds, the activities we found here don't vindicate anyone who touched this. Horowitz tells Graham he's unable to say if political bias did or didn't motivate FBI agents to withhold information that undercut the Steele dossier, uh, but that they clearly misrepresented the Steele dossier to the, the FISA court. And that Carter page was never a Russian agent. Uh, the, Allegations against Carter Page from the Steele dossier were never corroborated. There was never any evidence of it. Um, man, sounds like Carter Page got a bad deal.